Reveille, reveille, donks. It is Monday, August 5th, 2019, and it's time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this program, along with my co-host, you know this man very well, from CBS Sports and uh, a bunch of other places. It's Brian Campbell, y'all. Fired up. Fired up. MK Ultra back, coming at you. So we've got fired up Brian, not hungover Brian, huh? Uh, Yeah, I don't really speak about your personal life on air. I don't know where you're going with that one right there. uh, All right, ready to do some morning combat? Yeah, let's do this Actually, you know what? I'll say this before we get to the first topic. A surprisingly busy weekend, actually. There's a lot of stuff going on. You don't know, in the past summertime, outside of that UFC early July, 4th of July week, normally nothing going on, but really speaks to where MMA and boxing is at this year in our in uh, 2019, that things are business is moving. You know? All right, so let's get to the first order of business if we can. You know where we're going to start. UFC 241, no, excuse me, post UFC 241, UFC on ESPN 5. Chaos was here. Colby Covington, just down the street from where we are, defeats Robbie Lawler 50 45 on all three judges' scorecards. Now appears to be, in all likelihood, your runaway contender. For the next title shot against Kamar Usman, they brought him up on stage. They had to have a row of security there. It was <laughs> Rashad it, Evans almost turned into Dave Schaller trying to it separate was those two. He'd probably do a bit of a better job if we're being honest. Shouts to Dave Schaller. Uh, Dave Schaller's strong hair part these days, though. You got to give Rashad him Evans too. Right. Uh, right. In any event, so let's get to this. What did we learn about Colby Covington? I'll go first on this one if I may. Hey, hey it's your show. Why not? Right. Hey, well, it's our show. Yeah, in any right. event, actually, it's their show too. Um, okay, so what did we learn? First, here's what I learned. <laughs> This might be the first fight where the MMA media begrudgingly accepted <laughs> that he's actually pretty good. Let me just sort of state this out loud. There is, look, there's nothing wrong, I think, with letting your political views bring, be brought to bear. Colby Covington's doing that. But you have to always make sure that that doesn't influence the way you assess how good a fighter is. And I'll be honest, I believe that, not, not, not across the board, but in general, the amount of vitriol they have for Colby Covington's views in oh, MMA yeah. media it has blinded them to actually how good he is. He's been this good for a while. They just didn't want to accept it. This was the one where they were like, well, you beat Robbie Lawler even at 37. Not prime, but still very, very good. They finally had to accept gulp. I, I find Colby's political views odious as well, but I am the first person to be like, yo, that dude is awesome. He's very, very talented. And honestly, I did this on Dissected, Brian. That fight against Kumar Usman is ultra-competitive. You may have just seen the, the, the next UFC welterweight champion. So for me, what do we learn about Colby Chaos Covington? Uh, he's a serious threat to the throne at 170. Not by virtue of being the top contender, but because of actually how legitimately talented and how well he matches up against Kumar Yeah, you may not like his paintbrushes, his choice of colors, his uh, easel. But he painted a masterpiece on Saturday against Lawler. And you're right. This is that moment where you got to step up. And whether you hate him for the right reasons, whether you hate him in general, all of that, you got to give him his due. It's very reminiscent. They're not the same fighters. It's not an equal comparison. But very reminiscent to Conor McGregor against Chad Mendes. Where up to that point, it was, you know, when we finally see him against this style, we can prove that he's just a trash talker. We can prove that he's not legit. We can prove that maybe he's just a puncher. So it sort of had that same air where when you saw that, and I know Chad Mendes took that fight late, but that victory and you saw the emotion in Conor that night, that was when I think a lot of people were like, okay, get ready. The Conor McGregor era is here, like it or not. This is a much different situation because of the personality at stake because Colby wants you to hate him. If you're upset about anything he said on Saturday, that means he won. That Matt Hughes joke, distasteful, yes. Well-timed, perfectly. He wants you to hate him on that level. His public workout had scantily clad women. He's telling everyone, including me in Fight Week, I got the best cardio in the game because of what I do in the bedroom. 
Hey guys, porn star cardio. Wake up! This is great for the sport. Not good for the sport. Great for the sport to have a button pusher like this. But for that aside, this is opening segment. This first question is really about what he did in that cage. Yes, he established himself as a two true title contender. We cannot take that away from him. But because of his polarizing nature, I'm sure you had this happen too. Because you're a lightning rod for controversy, no matter what on social media. But me. I don't put out there that I voted for Nader in 96 and 2000. I did, though. Did you really? Really. But once I put out there that Colby Covington painted a masterpiece and he looked great and now we have to respect him, man, you would think I I did that with like a serpent on my chest and a machine gun in my hand. You know what I mean? I'm just talking about what he did in the cage. Yeah, it was so funny to watch this because, look, Robbie Lawler is 37. Am I suggesting, Brian, that Robbie Lawler is in his prime? Well, of course not. No, he is not in his prime. To that point, I had Robbie Lawler on my show on SiriusXM and I asked him, Hey, man, how have you stayed this good, this relevant, frankly, this healthy for his 18-year pro career? That's how long he's been a pro. That is remarkable, and that is a very long time. And look, father time comes for everybody. Am I willing to look at this and say that Colby beat the very best version of Robbie Lawler we've ever seen? No, he did not. Am I also willing to probably bet, because there's no really way to know, this Colby Covington gives the very best version of Robbie Lawler fits? Yes, because look at how he does it. Look at how he is able to fight. Look at how he is able to win. And when you begin to piece together the skills that he has with the strategy that he has with that unbelievable cardio, dude, I've got news for you. He's good enough to beat any welterweight. That's a fact. Colby Covington is good doesn't enough. Doesn't mean he will, by the way. Doesn't but mean you're he, saying he's right. good enough. Doesn't that's mean he key. will. I'm not predicting he goes out there and just blows the doors off everybody. But does he have the skills? Does he have the cardio? Does he have the experience now to beat any welterweight in the Ultimate Fighting Championship? Nay, on earth, yes. Yeah, let me give him yes. this. Let me give him this uh, this shout out here. Had him on my podcast, State of Combat, on CBS Sports last week. Like that little 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 plug it in right I see there. See that? Check it out. You know, wherever you subtle. All right, anyway, the point is I said to him, look, Colby, you know the questions coming in in this fight. Yeah, you're probably going to be able to take Robbie down. You're probably going to be able to control large chunks of this fight. What happens if he stuffs your takedowns? What happens if this becomes a striking match, if this becomes a kickboxing slash boxing match? Right. And, of course, he said the right things. He said, I had a chance to show you how well-rounded I actually am. you got to give him that credit here. A good deal of the second half of that fight was on the feet. From the, he, from the second round on, they were striking, and, he and outst- Colby was winning. And he outstruck Robbie. He did it with volume. He did it with smarts. And we were waiting this whole time over rounds two, three, four, and five. And by the way, shout out to John Jones for that tweet that we were all thinking, you know, you let the world down, Robbie Lawler. But the point is, we're waiting for that boom to come, and it never came. Is it because Lawler's 37? No. Is it because Colby worked so hard to, to bleed his gas tank? Probably But I think Colby at least established something in Robbie's mind that if you go for broke, if you do the one thing everybody watching at home, regardless of their political views, are screaming, Robbie, let the hands go, brother. Bring the pain. Be that guy. Be ruthless. Colby gave him reasons not to. How? how and can, that's and that. And you got to give Colby that credit there, Luke. And again. also, how can you expect Robbie Lawler to get off with some kind of big shot when Colby Covington literally attempted uh, more strikes in this fight than any other fighter has ever done in any other fight in UFC history? Five hundred plus attempted strikes. The idea is that not every single one causes a maximum amount of damage. 
But if I can just be in your face all the time, how can you ever get started? How can you Didn't ever Robbie look like Woodley did against Usman? Wasn't that the same thing? Right. You're waiting flat. for Woodley to wake up and go for broke, and it was never there. Because he's spamming you with offense. How can you get your defense beyond just stage one, stage it's two? It's like when you try to illegally stream a pay-per-view and you got all these like Russian sex things dropping up on your laptop. It's that same type of you thing. You gotta right? get a Mac. They have less of the spamware that you're, you're, you're uh, affected by. All right, that. that's the good news for Robbie. Can I deliver some bad news? Let's I'm hear sorry, it. Uh, good news for Colby. Let's hear it. And, and, and so here's the deal. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, we have to praise him right now. Same time, Luke? I think we just saw his ceiling. Who? I think we just saw as great as Colby Covington can be. Right. We knew we can beat the B minuses, the, the B plus, maybe even an A minus, depending on where you sort of rated RDA coming into that last fight and this rejuvenated version of Robbie Lawler. There are some bad parts about that. He couldn't finish Lawler. He didn't try to finish Lawler. So now when I look at what happens now when Colby moves up to the elite level, the truly elite level, the top of the pops here, the Kamaro Usmans, I don't think he has it. Okay, so here's the deal. Remember what I said. On any given night, Colby has the ability, the gas tank, the willingness, the know-how to beat any welterweight. Now, I don't know that he will. What's funny, by the way, is that he and Kamaru are actually really similar fighters. There's a pretty key difference. If you want to know what that difference is, watch Dissect It. Professor Salt and Pepper's got you covered right here. But the point being is, I actually think at the very, very top of welterweight right now, there's a little bit of parity. One person could beat one one night, one person could beat one the next night, and so forth. When they roll that dice, whenever that fight eventually gets made, it's it's really whoever just sort of, I hate to put it in these terms because they're so cliche, but they're really true in wrestling. Whoever really wants it more that night is probably going to win. Well, and here's the win. bigger problem for Colby, though, in, the, in this light, like what we're talking right here. We just saw the best of him. The next step is obviously Kamaru Usman. I got a problem for you, Colby. You've, you're a sum of your parts guy. You've put it all together and made a very elite fighter out of yourself. But Kamaru's better at what you do. And that's a problem. And I know you yes can say, no. I know yes you can say no. let's look at uh, Kamaru's recent history. He's not finishing guys either. But he's battering guys. He's mauling guys. Colby's out-pressuring them. He's dripping them of their gas tank. He's out-voluming them. Kamaru is actually bashing and hurting guys. So when I look at this and start to sort of handicap from, from a few steps away and yep. say, okay, as we get closer to Usman Covington, can Colby win this? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, he actually can, but it's the way in which they, they score damage that is the difference. Again, watch Dissect it. We went over this. Okay, from, two, four, excuse me, from UFC on ESPN 5. I keep saying 241. From UFC on ESPN 5. Any other standout? For me, I'll say this. There was a lot of fights that happened, a lot of different interesting things. How about Jim Miller's guillotine? Uh, unbelievable for him to just dive the way he did. Arm in. He caught it. I think Mickey Gall stands out to me. A lot of folks were saying, oh, well, he didn't look that good. I don't know. I thought I saw an improved Mickey Gall. Is he out there beating the very best of his division? Well, no, probably not. But is he getting better over time? I actually thought his gas didn't look better than he was getting credit for. So for me, Jim Miller, Mickey Gall couple of interesting standouts. I wonder for you, when you look back on UFC and ESPN 5, give me some standouts. Oh, for me, it's Antonina Shevchenko, completely. Because when she came into the sport, Valentina's older sister, we know that. We know the decorated kickboxing background. We didn't know if she could be a complete mixed martial artist. And up to this point in her UFC run, there's been a little bit of a mixed bag. And the mixed part of it has been, she hasn't shown you the complete mixed martial arts game. Against Roxy Montefiore, she kind of looked remedial on the ground in that regard. So to see her come out, to see her survive damage, survive a cut, and then get such a vicious choke in which he choked her opponent out, and then do so with sort of a creepy, violent smile on her face, this was a large step forward because nobody wants to be the oddball sibling to a star. Nobody wants to be Ozzy Canseco, Dan Miller. Marcus Vick. Frank Stallone. 
Whoever your dirtbag brother is, you got any? Yeah, I got one. Nobody wants to be that guy. Yeah. And this is Valentina, I'm sorry, this is Antonina's chance to uh, sort of separate herself a little bit. I would say this. I thought that she looked, don't get me wrong, the choke coming off of the the way she sort of flipped onto the back, I thought was pretty remarkable. That was good. Um, But I thought Pudilova's strategy was weird because if you watched, well, first of all, you just knew her background as a Muay Thai fighter. Maybe clinching up with her, not the best idea. Plus, you already knew in MMA she could do that. Her first fight on the Contender Series, which is how she got into the UFC, you'll recall, she pieced somebody up in the clinch. So I was like, I'm not sure what you're doing. To me, though, the growth to find the choke in a, let's say, an unusual entry into that position, that was the best. Because you go back to the Modafferi fight. Modafferi on the feet, probably not much of a match for Shevchenko. I thought it was a little bit more some of the transition game. Obviously, the, the ground. Neither Shevchenko sisters are great on the ground, except... Valentina's deep. Actually, Valentina's pretty good submitting Juliana Pena, but it's not what they're best at, right? So you, you sort of know. They're great at firing handguns. They're too. Fire, and, and dancing. They're dancers. But I guess the point being is you kind of know what to expect there. That's, that's going to be easier to fight them there than, than other phases. But then to go into the middle phase where they're actually still pretty good, I'm not saying that you learned nothing about it. I just think it's another step in the right direction. Um, not that we can sort of say, oh, my God, it's the most amazing thing. One more person I want to shout well, out. Well, I think you rolled off a of Colby way too soon. I got a lot more I want to talk to you about. We got some stuff. We got, dude, they're making me go. They're in my ear. I, I know the people in your ear. They can, they can come talk to me. Okay? <laughs> you, you, bring, you bring that shit to me, all right? Real quickly, Claudio Silva is a guy who has been off forever. He was on the prelim card. He has only fought, I think, twice in the last four years. He's just had injury after injury. Described it as being in a prison, I think, to... Uh, Fernando Prochess over from MMA Junkie slash now The Athletic. And he has been super talented. Has a win over Leon Edwards, which a lot of folks don't really realize. He's really good. He's just been injured. He's just been off. He got back to work on this card and made short work of his opponent, I think, uh, who had already missed weight, came in at 176. So for him to be able to do that, I thought, pretty impressive return. I actually am I'm keeping my eye on that guy because he's good. He's just been inactive. And if you're inactive, you're invisible in this sport. Anyone else on this card? Yeah, Colby Covington. So yeah. get ready for this, Luke. Here's the deal. If you're UFC and you're looking at Kamaru Usman, dominant victory over Tyron Woodley, but in a business sense, look, the guy's not marketable. He doesn't talk the talk and doesn't finish guys. Some of the same things we said negatively about Leon Edwards, potentially. Usman does grind them out hard. Is Covington getting to this level and proving himself to be legitimate as an elite fighter? The best thing that can happen to UFC if Usman is going to be that guy, if he's going to go on some kind of run as your UFC welterweight champion, because... Doesn't Colby automatically make Kamaru Usman the biggest possible babyface when they're on that ESPN Plus set afterwards and they're arguing and it's, by the way, I think it's fantastic what they did. That back and forth bickering, people on, on Twitter going, oh, this is a debacle, this is ridiculous. This is great TV, okay? This is the fight game. And you are now making Kamaru uh, Usman, this, he's going to be a household name as a babyface, as this great guy from Africa, as this whatever, automatically because of the hatred that comes with Colby Covington. He's different from a marketing standpoint than anyone we've seen in UFC. He's not Sonnen. He's not McGregor. Yes, a lot of it is sort of fake and calculated, but it pierces people on a deeper level to get them legitimately mad well, because of the political what people, tie-in. What people fail to understand about Colby Covington is they like, oh, he's the MAGA guy. Okay, well, he is that, quite, a, quite expressly the MAGA guy. Don Jr. and Eric in the house. I'm, you know. But he is more than that. He is, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a lower level Andy Kaufman where the joke is on the audience. When people are saying, oh my God, how could he say something like about Matt Hughes? Because he's not trying to make you laugh. He's trying to make you hurt. And that's exactly what he does. When he comes out to the, was it the Kurt Angle music and everyone's telling him he sucks? He is, the whole point is to put his finger in the chest of taboos, of establishment, 
of manners, of good, of goodwill, of good cheer. He wants to set ablaze to all of that. He happens to do that alongside of the sort of political bent, but there's actually a much more going on to that. So when they, when they label him in these sort of cheap ways, they don't really understand who he is. I will say, though, I will say, though, while I don't mind the bickering back and forth, and particularly when Colby accused uh, Kamaru of, you know, who have you knocked out? He's like, Sergio Moraes. He's like, never heard of him. Okay, good moment. Funny, hilarious, even though Sergio Moraes, very good black yeah, belt. Yeah, who, who the fuck is that guy? It's really it's actually a good black belt. There. Yeah. The question is, how ugly is it going to get? How? Well, that's the question I want to ask so, you next. So, what's your What's your personal line of where it goes too far? Because the Matt Hughes joke, distasteful to the to the ninth, but pretty hilarious in that moment. To in the, a dark to way. the point where, if they are stoking political and racial tension, to the point where it bleeds into the audience itself, that to me is the limit. If they want to keep it between themselves and say things and take it out on each other, Dana White, I'll say this: one thing he has been very consistent about is. This is the fight game. People say nasty things to each other. You know what? He's right. You have to just let room for that to happen. And you know, having covered Ricardo Mayorga, you know, they say he said really nasty things to De La Hoya. He smoked cigarettes in the ring. That's like the coolest move you could possibly ever yeah, do. Yeah, but he right? said vicious things about his wife, things like that. Okay, so the point being is that's going to happen. But when it spills into the audience, that's that that was why people were like, oh, you're gonna regulate the speech of Habib and Connor. I'm not regulating their speech, but when you stoke enough enough ethnic and national yeah. tension to the point where people at home feel like their identity is That's being That's when you attacked. call it Nate Dog. That's when it's like regulators mount up. That's but the but here's the deal, though. If Colby is exactly who I'm sort of saying what he is, which is really good, but warning track power against the very elite, he has a chance to be UFC's Chael Sonnen. And I, I don't want to bring up that name around you because we're going to no, we're we're, we're no, dig. We, we, no, we worked it We're going to Tito Ortiz no, 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 that stuff back up. Chael and I are good now. We, we called each other. We're fine. Go ahead. DM slides? Yeah, no, we spoke on the phone. Picks? You didn't tell you this? Picks? No, we, okay. no, we spoke on the phone. So here's the deal. Um, they have a chance to, what did Chell Sonnen do? The, the, the best thing he did the second half of his career was make stars out of other people. Mm-hmm. So one thing when he retired, some really smart people like Chuck Mindenhall wrote in, in pieces and columns, they said the best move Chell Sonnen ever did was make Anderson Silva sort of a charismatic crossover type of star from being such a villain in his face. I wonder if Colby can consistently do that. We'll have to on this see. level for them. All right. Well, speaking of somebody who won't be a star in the UFC anymore because they're not going to be in the UFC star, we move now to Chris Cyborg. Huh. Where does this story even begin? It's actually hard to say. I, I, I would actually argue it goes all the way back to Baltimore in 2015 or 14. But here's the story as we understand it. On Friday, Lorisenko sat down with UFC President Dana White and did an interview. And in that interview, Dana White makes a series of claims and also just a outright proclamation that the UFC is no longer, Brian, in the cyborg business. She was, she, for folks who may understand, she had finished the fights on her deal, but UFC contracts work in such a way where if you're not the champion, although that's a different scenario, but if you're not, they have 90 days to exclusively negotiate with you. Nobody else can come in and make you an offer. Now, when that window expires, everybody gets a shot. They waived that 90 days and said they're not even going to attempt to match we're done. We're out of here. I will go to you first on this one. Your reaction to the news was UFC right to do it. Is it the good thing? How do you assess what happened? My reaction to the news was disappointment if I'm looking at this as a whole as a sport because the right fight for Cyborg's legacy of what she has left is a rematch with Nunez. It's a chance to run back that sort of passing of the torch of the women's greatest of all time, whether you believe in that or not. So I'm sad as a fan to see that happen. But things have happened to almost make it necessary. I'm almost at the point where even I'm getting a little sick of this soap opera. If you can't get along, then maybe just move on. Cyborg still has a window to make a lot of money, like I said, whether it's Bellator, pro wrestling, boxing, all that stuff. But here's what's interesting. Up until this point, 
Cyborg had done such a great job at making us believe that this soap opera was completely one-sided, that it was Dana White has a history of talking bad about her, and now he's saying that she doesn't want the rematch, and now blah, 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 blah. I think she screwed up by, by having her team put out that video, whoever's decision it was. The video of the edited backstage conversation that I'm sure Dana maybe didn't know the cameras were on, whatever, but you know that they edited it in a way with those subtitles on the screen that didn't seem to accurately portray what Dana was saying and seemed to almost make you think he was saying two other separate things that mm-hmm. were bad in his case. I know she's publicly sort of... Uh, Put a, you know, said she was sorry in that, but that almost puts power back on Dana's side in this. And look, in reality, this is some stupid soap opera where we're trying to figure out who really said bad things about each other. The problem probably was at the negotiation table, probably more with her team, but this took away me feeling almost 100% bad for her because I know the history of Dana and what he says. Now I just feel like it's, it's this weird soap opera that needs to end. And by the way, in terms of that video, whether it's Laura Senko or Megan Olivia, they do a great job. But can we not open the video by saying, thank you so much, Dana, for your time. I know you're so busy. Dana called for that yeah. camera to put They're, on there because he trashed not only Cyborg, he kind of trashed ESPN and their E60 report too. The so, outside the line. Or outside the line. So this is him basically... Dropping a big dump with a UFC camera right there. He called for it. He doesn't even need a host. He can just set it up a webcam in his bathroom. If he wants. It's not but like a media outlet like requested time and he like, well, let me carve out 15 minutes for you. They called her. We're like, yo, show up. We're going to do this. In any event. So it's, it's, it's bad for fans. But at this point, do you agree with me where it's like, I yeah. don't even care anymore. Just break apart. Your whatever. parents together? Yes. See, I, I come from divorced parents. Shocker. I'm sure that was a major surprise to everyone that I'm broken like that. Uh, in, in, all, in all fairness, though, like... We, People, look, divorce is never a great thing, and this is a sort of like a, 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 a bit of a uh, pedestrian way to make the point, but there are just certain entities, certain people, they just cannot get along. Trying to make them get along, it only exacerbates the, the tensions, the problems, and then there becomes all manner of collateral damage. They absolutely need to move on. I will say this, though, about the video Cyborg put out. Look, it was nakedly duplicitous to do that, whether it was her call or her production team's call. Whoever's call it was, you effed up because... I don't think it's like 50-50, both sides are equal to blame. To me, it's much more Dana White's to blame. But when you do this, particularly at the juncture which you're getting released, and now you're having to come out and say you're apologized, God, the optics are so bad. You end up looking like yes. it's a completely equal scenario when it's not. But remember what I said before about Colby and Kamara when, when it's gone too far, when it bleeds into the audience. This is the one thing about Dana that just I just can't wrap my head around is his inability to recognize the power of his own statements. He loves it when his statements are listened to and everyone snaps their heels and jumps at attention and the world says, yes, Dana, you're so right. But then when he diminishes somebody and insults them, he wants to say, I didn't do anything. It's like you can't have it both ways. You're either the most powerful guy or you're not. Back at that scrum in Baltimore, you can hear on the video, at 172, it is me and Errol Hawani and John Morgan questioning him about this. I was there. You can hear my voice. On uh, the two video. quick questions. Was John Morgan wearing the blue shirt, and was he allowed to ask the first question? Does he not ever right, wear the blue going, shirt? I mean, going, this, this is a bear shit in the woods. But the point being is, when we go through the video, you can hear us talking to him about it. He was not taken out of context. You can go and watch it in context. It is not in any way, shape, or form exonerating. In fact, he brings it up without provocation. Yeah. And the point being is, when Cyborg is saying her kid is getting bullied at school, dude, that is not an accident. That did not just happen. If people get emboldened to say things, yes, because kids are animals. And also because there has been from the top down a culture created where Cyborg gets to get bullied. To the point where she's having to fist fight Angela Magana at the fighter retreat. Dude, that started somewhere. It didn't start just, you know, there wasn't some big bang where people just decided, let's do this to Cyborg. People in high positions normalized it, and it got tracked. It trickled do you, down. Do you want to throw some blame at Rhonda for this? Sure, absolutely. Okay. She's part of calling calling her, and it, it's like again, I get it, I get it. 
People in the fight game say nasty things to each other, but when it starts affecting other people, that's when you got to look around and say, maybe take some culpability here. Maybe say, you know what? For someone I want to do business with, maybe I shouldn't call this person incredibly disparaging things down the line because it'll have lasting consequences beyond just the parties involved, and it will make getting business done difficult. Maybe, maybe don't sow seeds of discontent from day one, and we won't have to be in a position where you're explaining to Laura Sanko why you're letting a person go. Uh, uh, with everything that you just said, and you are correct, I will agree with you on that. Did you like seeing old school fiery angry Dana back. That was like 2009 Dana was resurrected. I mean, they had the full screen graphics ready with the quotes. Yeah. They had video they were throwing to. This was like angry Dana ready to like swear out somebody. Yeah. It, I, 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 sure. I don't love it or hate it. It's just it, okay. it's the choice that he makes. Um, Do you it, think he listens to that metal band you do called Dying Children? Dying Fetus. I, you I act like this band is some marginal dirtbag band. This is one of the best bands in metal. I could you, see you, you two having more in common than look, you realize. Look, you and Uncle I, Dana, I know that right? you think headbanging to Matchbox 20 is like apex wow, masculinity. Wow, wow. But on this right. side of the table, we get busy with actual metal. Okay, in any event, moving on. So we'll see what happens there. By the way, did you go to Bell Tour PFL, you think? <sighs> the, the, I, fight, I, I, the fight is Kayla Harrison then right. at this point. So, But does she go there? She fight Julia Budd. If Dana's right that she avoided the Nunes fight to fight like the Pam Sorsons of the world, Julia Budd is a very a legitimate contender, but my hunch is that she's going to head towards Bell. That fight doesn't move me, and here's the problem. Kayla Harrison might be the only fight that moves me. Yeah. The, the cyborg, the attraction against anybody, moves me to a degree, but it will get old after a while. So really, the Kayla Harrison, I'd like to see her go to boxing. I'd like her to see her use her name to inject that in the, in the fledgling women's game in boxing, which finally has a couple stars. I know they're not all equal in weight, but we finally have three or four women that we would at least know who they are when you say their name. So I wouldn't mind seeing that potentially. All right. Speaking of seeing the next fight in women's, well, title history in this particular case, uh, upcoming this coming weekend, I believe, the UFC heads to Uruguay, I believe Montevideo. You can just call it Uruguay. You and John Adnick doing the Udu, I mean, come on, like. That's how it's pronounced. I mean, we're, this is America. I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to go all Colby. Right, but if you here. asked people how do you pronounce Uruguay from Uruguay, they're going to say Uruguay. That's it's, how you bro, pronounce it. Bro, it's Uruguay. All right. But it's actually not Uruguay. It's actually Uruguay. Right. That's how you say it. You know that, right? right. Sorry. Sorry. Repeating yeah. how native speakers say the name of their own country is not a problem. It's actually the way we should do Then I have to check things. my Columbia House subscription to see if they have dying children. Maybe that will cul- maybe, maybe culture me a little bit better. Uh, in any event, they go to Montevideo. I believe that's where it's going to be. And, uh, the point being is... They're going to very far down in South America. First time they're ever in this country. Valentina Shevchenko, Spanish speaker, should be noted, is taking on Liz Carmouche. Now, this is actually the second time they fought. It's technically a rematch, Brian Campbell. So I'm going to pitch this question to you first again. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take this one first, if I may. Because the question was, as we talked about it yesterday, planning the show, is there anything to this fight beyond the narrative they're presenting, which, hey, it's a rematch, blah, blah, blah. I want to make this, this point. It's a fine fight. And in fact, I would never dismiss the chances of somebody like Gorilla in Liz Carmouche, United States Marine, strong as an ox, trains with a good team. Ex-Marine or former Marine? No such thing as an ex-Marine. Trains with a good team, uh, always comes prepared, right, and has been in big fight scenarios before. I'm actually looking forward to the main event. I want to be serious about that. And, and the, the narrative of back at her natural weight. She'd been fighting at 35 over no her doubt. head. So that's so fair. I, she was strong at 135. At 125, look out, bro. She is really, really, really powerful. And, and she it, holds, holds a win under, over Jessica Andrade. She holds a win over two active champions. Right. You can sell it. You can, right. sell, you can, sell, you can sell it that way. But let's be real. You actually really can't no. sell it. To me, the fight itself is fine. But when you look down the rest of that card, you say to yourself, wow. 
they have put together a fight at the top of a UFC card where the whole point is, look, if you're the UFC, you're looking down this card, you're like, okay, we owe fights to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. We have to meet contractual demands for this platform, this service, this country, this broadcast deal. Let's just throw something together. Put a respectable fight, no doubt about it, at the top of the card. But that card, like we say this all the time, it might be the least impressive card in UFC history. Now, You're not wrong. People always go, bro, you can't judge fights before they happen. Yes, you can. You absolutely When you can look do at that, that card on paper, are you trying to do the uh, do the math in your head and do the time zones and figure out what time the main event starts? That's when you know that it's not a great card. But to your question of what's sort of the, the, the real narrative here, the real narrative here is kind of what you said. It's a crappy card. How do we put something good on it? Oh, let's put a title fight in a non-pay-per-view fight. Let's put it in a fight night. But also, let's not forget Shevchenko is Peruvian, born in, born in Kyrgyzstan, but has made Peru her second home. So maybe there's some elements of, of marketing and trying to establish sure. uh, a, a Spanish-speaking sort of celebrity there in Uruguay. She but can do media. There's really nothing else out of there. Yes, you can go with the Carmouche has won four or five since 2015. Yes, she's a former title contender. But, Luke, you know the truth as much as I do. There's nobody at 125. There's, like, two good fighters. So... It's no surprise that Carmouche would get into this fight, and it's a sellable narrative of the rematch, just like at some point if Katzengano can put a couple wins together, she may end up getting an Amanda Nunes rematch because she's the last one to beat her. That's, that's about it. So they've got, here's on the prelim card, Hogerio Bonturin taking on Rowley and Paiva. Could you pick either from a lineup? Uh, Geraldo or Geraldo de Fritas versus Chris Gutierrez. Cyril Gane, actually, he's not bad, uh, versus uh, Rafael Pesao Nunes. I like how it used to be the basis of slaughtering animals. They, uh, they Cattle decapitation is a real band. Uh, but here's also on the card, Vicente Luca taking on Mike Perry. I actually it's do like fight. that fight. It's, it's a great fight. fight. And uh, they have moved a thousand times Vulcan Uzdemir and Ilya Latifi. I think this is the third time they moved it, if I'm not mistaken. Also, the last thing to look out for is Hadolfo Vieira. Do you know Hadolfo Vieira? No. Uh, best grappler of our generation ever is Hadra Gracie of our generation, probably Marcus uh, Almeida Buchecha. Uh, the guy who was right under Buchecha is Hadolfo Vieira. He is, first of all, super bricked up, has won titles in the gi and no gi, has good wrestling. So he's not one of these like jiu-jitsu guys like, I'm the pull guard. No, no, no. He'd go in there and pick you up put you on your head. He's a bit like, um, uh, who's a good comparison? Well, he's the opposite of Ryan Hall, who's a great fighter, but he's not going to go in there and just bear on you physically. Adolfo Vieira will, so he'll make his debut in this card. There's some decent fights there, but down and up the card, oh, my God. Like, they're just putting this together for no other reason. So, last question on this. If Carmouche loses, and she's expected to, according to the odds makers, but MMA's crazy, but let's assume she does, so Shevchenko retains her title, Cyborg's gone. So do they do a third fight between they Shevchenko and... Nunez? They will have to because the truth is Nunez has cleaned out two divisions. And there's maybe one or two names you could throw at me and say, okay, they can build toward that for Nunez and it would make a little bit of sense either style-wise or marketing-wise. But Shevchenko's the big fight. It has to happen. I, I would actually say this. The first fight between Shevchenko and Nunez, Nunez clearly won, but her deficiencies were put on display. Right. Those I mean, Valentina started too late in that fight. She did. And the deficiencies were not on display, in my judgment, in the second fight. It was a, very, a really different fight, and, not, and no small part because it was three rounds versus five from the first of the rematch. I actually thought Shevchenko won the second fight. Do you remember how you scored it? I scored Shevchenko as well. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's, it's almost gotten to the point where it's not 
a sneaky hot take to say that. It's almost as if no, more than 50% of people are going to tell you that same thing. Nunez did show in that fight that the cardio is real and sort of put That's right. to, to, to rest any of those concerns against her. That's the night, in my mind, she became truly well-rounded. But as much as she says, hey, Valentina, you can't win that fight because you didn't fight like a champion, you didn't come to finish me, it was a bit of a stalemate, and I think Nunez kind of left that door open for Shevchenko. All right, let's quickly do some UFC 241 stuff that I want to talk about oh, yeah. some boxing. So UFC 241 is two weeks away, never too early to get going. you got a good main event, you got a good co-main event, you got a good feature fight. Uh, you go first, Brian. Fight you're looking forward to most. If you go main event, you're going to let me down. So give No, me- I really like that middleweight bout between Derek Brunson and Ian Heinish. I've been really? wanting to okay. still follow the Heinish story for a while, not just because he's got Jurassic back and, and sort of, I mean, you're rocking the, the dad bod pushing 40. He's rocking that jail bod, and he's got a great story, and one day it'll be an action movie, and we all know that. But the whole point is, is he for real? Can he fight? His UFC appearances up to this date, he's been unbeaten. He's sort of overcome his own early deficiencies, whether it was gas tanking his debut or whether it was sort of figuring out exactly who, is, who he is as a fighter. I feel like, even though he had a great win in his last fight over the, the Brazilian fellow, you know, Juan Carlos... Juan Carlos Jr.? Or? Oh, uh, shoe face. Yeah, shoe face. Um, this is a real test. Brunson's coming off a win. Yes, at the elite level, Brunson is going to alternate wins and losses constantly. But for me, this is the fight that lets me know if Heinish is just a good story or whether we really have something here. Yeah, he's an interesting test case uh, for a potential upside. And by the way, in those fights, he's been pushed a little bit. And he's had to come back and show resiliency, which he did, which is always really interesting to see. So I You think- learned that in the hole. Yeah, you know what? We, uh, I mean, about, we know that. I mean, we would know that from the set. Talk, you know? <laughs> talk about perseverant. My man's perseverant. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know how you pick any other one but this. Yoel Romero yes. taking on Paulo Costa. What a storyline yes. to this one. What an unbelievable contest. So here's what we have cooked up, right? You've got, uh, first of all, they were just on a collision course to begin with because Yoel Romero, there was questions like, does he go to 205? But he decided not to, so he's there. He's this presence who... You could argue who beat Whitaker, but he didn't. Okay, the judges did. didn't. We give don't it have to him. argue it, Luke. We can we can put out there the great misses and scorecards. You, you know, like Thurman won fourteen, one thirteen. You can say that you thought he did. You can't okay. actually say that he did. Anyway, certainly, let's put it this way: he gave Whitaker all he could handle, and then some. All right, but he's still at, he's, he's north of forty. He's older than me, it's which like is forty-two like and old. a half. I mean, when will this guy look old? Paulo Costa looking like he's been chiseled out of stone, battling accusations about USADA. Has a USADA run in, but. It's for something that is not exactly all that performance-enhancing, although banned. It's a banned substance. Are you talking about picograms in this case? No, we're not in this particular case. And then he has this sort of, like, IV thing. Yoel comes out and says, oh, I heard it was a USADA issue that this guy got hemmed up for, why his fights have all been canceled, blah, blah, blah. He only gets a short suspension because he does the whole substantial assistance thing. He's back in the octagon. So whatever it was, it wasn't all that serious, I guess. It's hard to really piece together what happened. Point being is... Brazil has been looking for their next big star because all of their giants are all aging out. Andrade appears to be leading that charge, at least for right now, as the champion. But they really need someone marketable. The Eraser, I don't think, is a great name for him. But when he fights up to his potential, he just looks the part. When you think fighter in your mind from Brazil, it looks like that. It's like Vanderlei 2.0, only with a better haircut, right? And less sort of scalp tattoos. It's that dude. But Yoel Romero... I don't know if you've ever paid attention to it. He doesn't, he's not a two-way fighter. He just defends, 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 and then explodes. explodes. Full-on explosion. So I can't wait to see what happens when these two animals clash. And I say that not in a pejorative way, in the most exciting way possible. Cannot wait. Storyline meets interesting fight, meets generational turnover. If you like good-looking men, this is your fight, really. If you like dudes who just look like they can lift the the earth, uh, 
this is what you want. Are you not sharing my excitement for this one? Oh, massively. I was trying to go a little bit under the radar. I assumed you'd, you'd play big ticket no, with me here. I'm, but all, I'm all look, in on this This card one. is great, and it's more great from being top-heavy, but it's great in terms of the musty fight storyline. I mean, this is a great main event. This is a great co-main because we have to see what Nate looks like. Mm -hmm. We have to see whether this is just going to be a one appearance and we don't see him again for two years or never again, or if this is the beginning of something. What could we use his star? Who could we match that against if you're the UFC matchmakers, if he's able to be Anthony Pettis? So much to see there. But this Costa-Romero fight could main event any other card. It's fantastic. Let me ask you this just personally. What would you put your, and there's no wrong answer to this one, what would you put your level of enthusiasm for on the main event? Very, very high. Okay, tell me why. Because I'm a little bit, it's not bad. It's good. All right, no, no, I give it a seven or eight. Tell me why, Luke. So why you, don't you, you tell are, them why you're, you're no, no. You're, are you are you like a nine or a ten? I'm about nine and a half. I don't see how you could. So I'm seven and a half. Tell me why you're nine and a half. Okay, heavyweight historically not deep. Historically, we sort of wait every couple of years for a big fight like this. This last fight was interesting because Stipe was on the verge of cementing that he is the most decorated, greatest UFC heavyweight champion. So we've sort of been waiting for someone to climb that throne and and and, and lay that down. Then Daniel Cormier comes back. The guy who, had he not been such a great friend, may have already ended up in that spot. Right now, we may have been already talking about that DC is the greatest heavyweight to ever walk the planet. He takes the circuitous route, puts himself in the upper table, and then walks in there and knocks out Stipe. And now you're like, wow. But yet at the same time, even though that first round knockout was the very definition of not being a fluke because it was calculated, it was something he sort of said in interviews ahead of time, this is what Stipe does wrong and I'm going to take advantage of it. And then he goes out and he does that. Still a first-round knockout. We still didn't see what happened if that fight got into some deep rounds. Both are accomplished wrestlers. Both are very smart fighters. I really think this fight has potential to go the distance, and I think it has potential to be very exciting back and forth, trading rounds, and sort of it's not an automatic in my mind that DC comes in here and wins this. Uh, and it's, Well, it's never automatic. No, I mean. but even, even, uh, even in the sense of, of comparing two great fighters when you're trying to self-handicap to, yeah. to build your hot so, takes So my enthusiasm, I would say, is still high, but I, here's my, my hunch. If you're a 9.5 and, and I'm 7.5, my hunch is that the fight's going to come out around 8, 8.5, so probably a little bit closer to you, and that's, I mean, that's, the, that's the middle point. But I'm saying it'll probably be better than I'm giving it credit, maybe not quite as good as you are. Um, what fuels your flaccidity? 40 years on Earth. Um, what I would say is the first fight, like, he, like to me, when Stipe was like, I deserve a rematch, to me, like, it's not a personal thing when I say this. I just never understood how that was a valid thing you could ask for. The fight was signed in January. They fought in July. You had seven months to prepare, and it was, there was no foul. I mean, as you could say, there may have been a, I don't believe there was a foul. It just looked like a clean-ass win. He just got beat by a better guy. Now, that you could say the same thing happened with Nama Yunus and um, uh, uh, Jacek. But, okay, there was a weight cut issue, blah, blah, blah. Second fight, much closer, much more competitive. But in the end, it was the same person who got her hand raised. I'm just struggling to see a way again. MMA's crazy. Stipe could go in there and knock him out in a round. I've seen it before. But to me, yeah, there's been a little bit of time that elapsed, uh, well over a year. But not a huge amount of time. Like, usually for a real change in fighting ability, you, get, you have to let it marinate two years, three years, and then people circle back, and they're in different points in their career. To me, Cormier has been active even with injuries. Stipe is not. It paid off in terms of not having to take anybody else to risk it. But he's not been active. Ring rust doesn't affect everybody. I'm just, I'm just struggling to understand. All right, part of this, so I'm going to be here, honest. Here's, here's my central question. 
I am not hearing a convincing case for why the second time will be different from anybody. That's Okay, that's fair. Part of this, to be really honest, is that it's not Brock Lesnar in D.C., which didn't need to happen, shouldn't have happened, and I thank God it didn't because that's sort of... Mr. Pro Wrestling doesn't want to see Mr. Brock Pro Lesnar. Wrestling doesn't want to see it under those circumstances right there, for sure. Look, I'm always for when they lean on the entertainment side in certain situations. That's why we're sitting here saying, you know, you could put Masvidal on the title shot. You could put anybody that's marketable. But in that case... Coming off of a steroid test. I don't have to sit here and explain it. You understand. Yeah. Brock Lesnar in that case would have been bad for the sport. So what do we get instead? A really great fight. And yes, DC can go into a John Jones trilogy, which is the best and biggest fight, in my opinion, you can make in this sport. Okay, biggest, you can put an asterisk there because anything Connor Habib rematch could sell more. Yeah. But in terms of like a fight that like matters, you could argue that DC Jones 3 is the most important fight in UFC history. Like, there's just so much at stake with their legacies and the two titles. And it may happen regardless if DC wins or loses at 241. Right. But if he wins, Luke, that, I think, elevates that third fight even more as to not just we need it. I know. But like I mentioned, it really could be the biggest fight from importance ever. And I think everyone's been trying to slow roll it, which I understand. But if DC, let's say, okay, let's say DC wins. And then imagine a scenario where DC wins violently again. Maybe not the first round, but let's say third round. The amount of gravitational force pushing John and DC together is going to be overwhelming. Now, there's some questions about do they do it at heavyweight? Do they do it at light heavyweight? Well, can we un- unpack that for a quick second? Yeah, because sure. Dana up? White's actually on, on my side. Which He's is? on the right side of history, which means this has to happen at heavyweight. It's Jones and DC that won it at 205. I would get that if you're John Jones. But if you're DC, why? Why the hell would you need to go back and cut down at this point when you are thick with three Cs right now, bro? And I'm proud of you. You're the heavyweight champion of the world. But why would you need to do that? Why would you want to do that? There's an inherent advantage for DC for this being at heavyweight. He's proven himself this way. We have no idea what Jones would look like. Why would you not take advantage of that considering those first two fights? Yes, you lost them cleanly in the cage, but there's enough going on around it with the drug tests and all that that you could sort of always make that claim in your heart. Did I really lose fair and square? So do the, So I get that that's why he would want to go back to 205 and do it. I just don't think it's necessary. Okay. I okay. think you want to make the best fight possible. The best fight between these two is at heavyweight. They want me to go to fan questions real quickly. I do want to make sure we get to boxing real quickly before we do that because the fan questions are a little bit all over the place. We have to kind of hurry this up on the boxing side, so let's get to the most important one. In the boxing side of things, there were some fights over the weekend. A big pass. Would you only rent this room for a certain amount of minutes? They're in my ear, goddammit. Let me just do this. Uh, the big news, though, is Canelo is upset with Golden Boy. I want to talk about the DAZN implications, but first I'll throw to you, Mr. Boxing. What is happening with Canelo? Yes. What is happening with Golden Boy? And why is it so serious? Uh, what is happening with Canelo, the biggest star in the sport, the biggest pay-per-view brand, the guy who took the baton from Floyd Mayweather is, he has those May and September dates on lockdown, the Mexican holidays, the, the big pay-per-view moments that, that, right. that matter. And suddenly, as of right now, he doesn't have a date. He doesn't have an opponent. And we've cycled through in a very short amount of time three or four opponents sort of fueled by the same idea that he doesn't want to give Triple G, Gennady Golovkin a third fight. He, does, he hates him. He doesn't want to give him the payday. He, in Canelo's mind, I fought that guy twice. They were both classics. It was a draw and a victory for me. What else do I have to prove? Right. This guy's calling me a drug user. This guy's saying things. I don't want anything to do with him. Well, the problem is, Canelo... Your network into zone, which we can get to in a second, wants a lot to do with that and built their financial future around that. And your promotional team, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions, certainly wants that to the point that they had written language in the zone deals that sort of guaranteed that they would get that third fight. And now with Canelo being stripped of the IBF title last week, 
and for it being stripped in a way in which Golden Boy's matchmaker was negotiating for a potential uh, vacant title bout against Sergey Derevchenko, who lost to Daniel Jacobs in a close split decision a year and a half ago. Very credible fighter for a fall date. But the idea was if you don't make the fight by this certain time, IBF is going to pull that title. Golden Boy signs off on that, apparently not telling Canelo. So we're getting mm. to a sort of potential impasse here where you got to remember a couple of things. Canelo holds the power here. I thought I was going to talk about this show when you talk about if the decision take when it's Canelo and DAZN, who really holds the power? Well, we're learning that it's Canelo. But Canelo versus Oscar and his team, Canelo holds the power. What have we seen historically in the past when fighters become unhappy at the way they're handling or believe that they can make more money or do better decisions Hashtag better? Hashtag Floyd Mayweather. Hashtag buy yourself out. Right. I wonder if that's coming right now, if you can believe the reporting and the rumor that's coming out and the feeling that Canelo maybe hasn't been completely happy with the decisions being made behind the scenes without his knowledge by his own team. What has happened since then? Top golden boy unbeaten prospect Ryan Garcia, who's got the 2 million following on Instagram. Blasting people. Blasting. He also has, shares the same trainers as Canelo. Blasting on Twitter, going publicly like Canelo did this week, sort of calling out his own promoter. Is it just a messy soap opera and we're going to figure it out and Canelo's going to come back against somebody credible this fall? Maybe. But there's been a lot of missteps publicly in the last couple months where you need to start asking yourself, like, what's the future of Canelo Alvarez golden boy? Let's not forget. Remember that big split up between Oscar De La Hoya and Richard Schaefer with Golden Boy? Mm-hmm. It led to PBC going their own route mm-hmm. when originally it was Golden Boy Promotions possibly going to be the house promoter for PBC. Pretty much all the fighters went with Al Heyman and PBC. Canelo stayed true to Oscar. Canelo is Golden Boy Promotions. Well, He's yeah. the meal ticket. Name He's their everything. top five fighters without not naming Canelo. You have a so struggle. this is going to be very interesting. There's probably huge damage control going on in the offices of Golden Boy. And watch how this plays out and maybe how this might affect Canelo's future at DAZN, which is very interesting. Okay, last thing on this for me. What is the worst thing that a streaming subscription service, what's the worst thing their customers could ever ask it? It is, wait, why do I pay for this again? If you lose Canelo, I mean, look, I don't know how you feel about DAZN. I I already asked this question. Now, I'm not going to get rid of DAZN because when I use DAZN, I actually like it. I get it for Bellator, occasional KSW, Combate America. You're a big Ock and Barak fan. Uh, actually, I do love Ock and Barak. They're cool guys, actually. And also, look, you have the Anthony Joshua Ruiz fight on there. You have Canelo fighting on there, you thought, on a reasonable schedule. Dude, you're not just losing Canelo if he decides to bounce. You're losing the crown jewel. You're, using, you're losing the anchor that makes DAZN kind of what DAZN is. Now, if you're an MMA fan, you're like, well, I don't... I don't really care all that much. But if you're DAZN, you're saying to yourself, this is the biggest contract in sports at the time that we signed. Everyone's like, Bryce Harper had the biggest deal. Mike Trout had the biggest deal. No, Canelo Alvarez had the biggest deal. Well, you could argue Floyd Mayweather's Showtime deal was pretty damn massive, too. But I get what you're saying. Okay, but at the time he signed it, it was the biggest contract in sports. So I'm just pointing out, this is not just any old boxer. This is the thing that is gluing everyone together. You lose him, you're already on the hook to pay Triple G. Who the hell is he going to fight? I mean, I guess you can make things happen, but you're not going to make that happen. All I'm pointing out, I'm not saying a bunch of dominoes get pulled if he decides to somehow force a breach of contract and go somewhere else. Yeah. What I'm pointing out is you're beginning to ask yourself more and more as a DAZN customer, wait, well, if I don't get Canelo... Why, why am I yeah, paying and for To be clear, I, I don't have the legal background to tell you that there's a breach of contract here or whatever, but it's if you have a star that's unhappy and you made it your, fi- your financial backbone in DAZN, yep. they signed Golden Boy and Oscar guaranteed a third Canelo Triple G fight. They signed Triple G for $100 million and in the language in the contract reportedly is a guarantee for a Canelo Triple G fight. 
Hanel's the guy that doesn't want it. What are you going to do? It's going to be very interesting soap opera. All right, so time now, if we can. It is, we have to go to fan questions, Brian Campbell. Let's do the fan questions if we can. i got to find the, uh, the old email they sent me here at the bottom, I believe. Uh, okay, we can put them up here on the screen, I believe, if I'm not mistaken here. Oops, hold on. i got to go back to my inbox. Here we go. Yes, now I have them. Okay, let's do this. All right. First up, you have the tiny tank one. So, are you in order? Well, these don't match mine at all. Oh, here we go. Yes, now they do. Uh, did Covington go too far with the Matt Hughes comment? Please let me go first on this yeah, one. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. I found this one. How do I explain this? This is a larger commentary on, well, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Which is, this is not, Colby's not a stand-up comedian, but who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Dennis Leary. Tell me why. Uh, because I listened to 1991's No Cure for Cancer in the yeah. back of my uh, Chevy Celebrity for about seven straight years. Okay. My answer is Patrice O'Neill. And I don't know how Patrice O'Neill would fit into today's comedic scene because what people want now is like woke comedy, which is not really comedy at all. And, and, and here's the point about this. What people want now are people you can put on Netflix. I call them good boys who just say all the right things and they kind of... Uh, make sure that they're sponsor-friendly. And, again, Colby's not a comedian, but the point being is that need to accommodate establishment ideas and establishment thought is suffocating. It is going to create somebody who comes and does this. In MMA, we have suffocating demands. You have to be reverential towards X fighter. You have to think that so-and-so is the right call. You have to think that that's the best fight ever. And then someone comes along and goes, no. No, I don't think that. Do I, would I make the Matt Hughes joke? Never. I would never personally make it, nor do I endorse it. I'm not even sure I think it's like all that funny. But, but I also understand someone is going to come around when you have ideas that are not supposed to be challenged and taboos that are not supposed to be touched, and he's going to set them all ablaze. The key is to not let it offend you. The key is to understand what it is. It is vandalism of your senses, but but don't <laughs> well, let the it... the key is to not tweet and talk about it. The, if yes, you want the key to go is away, to not give it oxygen. Because I took umbrage with what you said last week, I think, when you said, you know, don't be confused, Colby Covington has is, uh, is, is been fueled and made up by the media. You know, that was no, the, the, no, no. The, is, that's, not, that's not what I said. What I said is... If you found the weaknesses of how MMA media covers the sport and you wanted to craft ways to take advantage of all the weaknesses, that is who he is. And I don't know how you could possibly contest that. Well, I think when you say that, though, some people sort of imply that, that people want a guy like this to be created. So they're taking part purposely in creating him, whether for political reasons or boredom or laziness or whatever. But you got to understand, covering sports in any form, and I, I mean, started covering high school sports like 1995, you find that someone that can talk... I don't care if it's a girl, someone on the girls' swimming team or their coach or anybody. You flock to that person. They break the monotony of the job in journalism. They add the spice that you cling for. It's catnip. It's sex. Somebody who can fill your notebooks and, and say things, especially controversial, it's great. The problem is it only matters if they're relevant, if they keep winning. Right. When they stop winning, it doesn't matter. No one's tweeting about it. No one cares. Yeah, speaking of a train coming off the tracks, if he loses then this goes away. But right now, he's in that golden period where he keeps winning. He's almost doing what Connor did, where every step of the way, you're like, okay, the next one, he's going to get served. And then he didn't. So at this point, it's sort of like, he built himself. This is already a built engine in practice and system where if somebody can talk, you give them the form. You want this. We want big quotes. We want anything from these people. Right. But the point is, like, people are like, oh, well, they accused him of being indecent. It's like, I don't understand how that, I don't understand that criticism. It's like, dude, that's, that's what he's trying to do. 
When you tweet, oh my God, that was really, uh, that was over the line, Colby's looking at that and going, mission accomplished. Look, this is entertainment. We say this all the time. No, it's hold freaking on. entertainment. It's not, it's not, the, the idea is not that, bec- the idea is, is, yes, it is indecent. And you, you should hold on to your own sense of decency. But when you have a provocateur, which is what he is, he is a provocateur, when you lash out on social media at it, you are you are enabling him. You're fueling him. You yes. are enabling him. So if you find it indecent, deprive him of oxygen. It's the only way to combat this. But try to tell me that he's bad for the sport. Try to try to convince me of that. I do worry about this fight with Usman. I do worry about if this fight. you're if you're worried about it from a racial standpoint and, and where the politics comes together. I yeah. agree with you. Yes. I don't want to see it cross that line. But to act like. True villains, and look, uh, true is a weird word because he is fake. This is fake. It's a character he's playing. Is there it's, some? It's a, it's a halfway character. Is there curmudgeonry underneath him to fuel that character? Yes, but a lot of what he's doing is out of the pro wrestling handbook. So my whole point is MMA and boxing. It's so close to pro wrestling I, I, on the terms of marketing and in the terms of how you how we get excited about things. That it's he's a character. You need villains. I will just say this though: people want a character like the Joker who they can kind of, like, admire from afar. Oh, my God, Heath Ledger did such a great job in The Dark Knight. What a, what a character I can really wrap my, my arms around. Colby is not interested in that. He is not interested. The joke is on the audience. It is, he is not trying, to, he's not trying to bring you into a dark world and show you its mystery and wonder and also its frightening sense. He's trying to piss you off. So when you lash out, you are, you are enabling this. I don't know how, I don't know. People are like, well, his gimmick doesn't work. Are you, do you dislike him? Yeah. Are you pissed off about his Matt Hughes joke? Yeah. MFR, it works perfectly. That's what it's designed to do. That's, Stop. It's going to fit great in, this, in the new sizzle reel one of these. By the Just way, real quick, nuts. Dana White not showing up cage side for this one in a New York market with Don Jr. With and the Trumps, Trump yeah. there. Your thoughts? I hadn't thought much about that. Well, right. You think it's conspiratorial? I don't know. Maybe on uh, Morning Combat Political Edition uh, next week we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get down on it. All right. All right. Next one. Let's do this. Next one. I'll make sure these are uh, coordinated in the right way. All right. Uh, from Joel Embiid. I don't think the real one, though. Usman and Colby both have great wrestling cardio, pace combined with good striking. What is the difference maker in the fight and who has it? Now, I did a big one on this on Dissected. So I'd love to hear what your thought is. You think it's what, the damage? It's power. The difference is power and... Um, Ability to finish. Both don't always show finishing instincts, but the ability to finish, I think, is much stronger in Usman. I think he wins this fight. Yeah, he might. I don't think that the uh, instinct is much higher with... I, I, I think the instinct is probably the same with both guys. The difference is... You came in and dissected, I think, at the end. The difference is that if you look at the way Colby wrestles uh, when he goes for takedowns, he keeps his hands locked, and he when he's in on a position, he wrestles through it. Usman, when he gets to a position, he'll find some kind of static place and then begin to bang on you. Won't the wrestling cancel out, though? Won't they cancel well, out? Here's the, turn into so a here's, the match? here's the interesting part. Colby does all of his, like, all of his damage. You look at his totals, literally 90% of it happens on the feet. If you look at Usman, more than 60% of it happens on the ground. Colby doesn't do ground and pound. He exchanges. Usman doesn't really exchange. He ground and pounds. That's the big difference. The key is this. Kamar Usman has 100% takedown defense. Three fights he's only ever had a takedown attempted on him. One was Demi and Maya, which you saw. Not much of a wrestler, okay? Tricky, but not much of a wrestler. One was Tyron Woodley, but it was I showed it on Dissected. Not much of a shot. And then the other one was from Havel Dos Anjos, who was not big enough and not a wrestler. Which is to say, here's the other X factor. No one who has the ability of Colby has ever really tried to take down Kamaru. If you look at the shot from, from Woodley, it's not, it's, it's not much of one. He didn't really try. 
What if someone goes out there and tries to really take him down? Now what happens? So the interesting part is, if he gets taken down, Colby's going to get banged on. You're trying to say teams that press hate being pressed? Is that where this is going? I'm saying both guys are similar. They have a key difference. But one has never really quite faced the other. That's going to be the One hasn't part. quite faced the pain. Please leave. Uh, okay, next. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. How could a fighter beat these modern wrestling heavy fighters like Covington, Usman, Habib? Granted, Habib's game is a tad different comparing to the other two. Very different, actually. But it seems as if there's not a clear way to beat these modern wrestlers who surprisingly have a monstrous cardio. What is your take on that? Big fan from, as you would say, Iran. Because you can just pronounce it whatever you want, huh? Is it Chardet to you or Said? That's where that's... that's, It's uh, it's Iran. Okay, Iran. All right, how do you want to do this? What do you think the big difference is? Oh, you're you're, you're the professor. What do you got? So the answer to this is, um, first of all, hard to do. Because these guys, with the key insight for all of them, Habib is different because Habib... So Usman and Covington, here's what is similar. They want to get you to a knee. They want to get you a wrist control. And then Covington will just keep wrestling you. Usman will begin to fire. Uh, what Habib does is he actually doesn't stop there. He will bang on you from there. But he actually wants to get you flat on his back because he wants to go to mount. He wants to take the back. He actually wants to finish. He has much more finishing instincts. But what binds all three of them, the Covingtons, the Usmans, and the Habibs, is that they have an incredibly labor-intensive style. It is built on this work rate that is astronomical. So just to, just to like tread water with them, you're in the choppiest of seas, and you have to do it round after round. The key is, easier said than done, I think about somebody like um, Stylebender. Now, what I'm saying is, I don't think Stylebender necessarily, I mean, he's smaller than all these guys, so I don't think he, well, not Habib. Bigger. But the idea is, when you get in on Stylebender, he stops the takedown, and then creates quick separation along the fence line you got to have a jab that sticks in their face. Like a Jose Aldo type. Quick, athletic, break the hands, combined with a jab in their face. It's kind of that. Mix a Jose Aldo with a style bender, which doesn't exist, I suppose. But I'm just pointing out. What about a GSP when you consider he has the jab to mix with the rest? That's right. He has the jab to keep distance on the cost checks. And when the fishes want to get in on him, he could stuff it and then repurpose it. Something like that. What about an old GSP? Like a prime? No, what about GSP uh, right now against could he Bisping? Be, could, could he beat the Covington? Could he come in here and yeah. be that that prime GSP? Yeah, I think so. No, I'm talking about late 30s right now. GSP, mm. active GSP, against back Usman in the Covington? gym. EGSP, can he still be? Is he no. is he the savior in waiting to beat this style of fight? No, I don't think he could. Okay. Maybe maybe it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Coming soon to Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> Morning, Morning Kombat. I know. I keep saying Mortal too. All right, next. Uh, I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Alex Schulker? Schulcher? In a period where the UFC is struggling to replicate the superstar pull of fighters such as McGregor and Rousey, the loss of Cyborg is huge. I don't agree. Uh, is there a point where the powers that be at the UFC will start to question having Dana White as the face of the organization? Or is his power and influence in the sport so great that he'll have the carte blanche to do as he pleases until he decides to call it quits. Go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. His power is so great to get to this point. Any yep. behind the scenes things you see, um, his passion isn't slowing down. His big business thinking, his uh, his ideas, his he's still he still got it. So there's no need, there's no need to replace him at this point. And I don't think we're that. If you're going to make the take if, that Dana White negatively. Uh, it doesn't support the building of new superstars, I wouldn't agree with that. This isn't like a Vince McMahon hot take in pro wrestling where it's like, well, he doesn't want the next Cena or Rock to be there. This is like, 
He's trying to build the next stars. They're throwing people into fights sometimes to try to see if they have that star power. It's just not an exact science. Yeah. And this is a sport where you can lose 50 different ways. So when somebody goes on a GSP or John Jones or Demetrius Johnson type run, we need to stop and applaud because it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Here's what I would say. If you grew up watching Dana White or, you know, it came, my career began almost, not at the exact same time as his, but not too far apart. If you watched that and then you went through, I mean, he has toned it down massively. It used to be way more. The only liability came when those fighters launched the lawsuit against the UFC and they weaponized some of his anti-competitive comments against them. But it remains to be seen whether he'll pay a cost for that. When that first happened, they UFC dialed back his schedule. He was only speaking to the Jim Romes and so forth of the world. Now he's back to talking to the MMA media, not all the time, but much more than he used to. He's doing the Tuesday Night Contender Series scrums and whatnot. So the answer is, yeah, he has carte blanche. Like, if there was ever a way that that was going to impact him, uh, it already would have. If you thought cutting Cyborg was aberrant, you missed the days when they threatened to cut everyone from AKA for not signing away their likeness rights for not a penny for a video game. You missed all of that. This is child's play. Now, he, he can, he can negatively influence the the promotion of certain brands with his comments, but yeah. it doesn't seem to be lasting. Unless he's got a grudge against And also, you. people keep bringing this up. I just want to make this point. Like, I, I like ESPN. I watch ESPN. I think it's great. I think the UFC looks even better on ESPN than I ever thought it would. But this idea, it's like, oh, ESPN is going to be a big check to him. Dude, ESPN is not a disinfectant. ESPN is an accelerant. It is a complete accelerant. Anything that they do, whether it's you know, that you don't like, like signing Greg Hardy or cutting Cyborg, ESPN is not going to make that look bad. And you can they can say whatever they want. It's, they're never going to make that look bad. They are their partners. Go listen to Jimmy Pitaro on the Rico Decode podcast with Peter Kafka. He talks about this. They see themselves as partners with the leagues, which is fine. That's their right to do. But this idea that like, oh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to hold their feet to the fire as their broadcast entity. No chance. No chance. Or that Jeremy Schaap would <laughs> get on there and really hammer them for it. Nope. Where's Sarah Spang saying, Sarah Spain saying anything? Yeah. Where, where's Dan Lebitard saying anything? Where is Bomani Jones? Where is... Chael Sonnen. What, what, what's wrong with Chael being on there? He's there. Where is he saying anything? Okay, but I mean, he, I think he also works for ESPN. The point being is, the point being is, the people who are like the ones who speak out against all yes. the injustices in their normal sports, you notice they get real quiet about you. I mean, it's just like no, it's never going to happen. So he's here until he's not here. Uh, let's go to the next one. Look at this. We got UFC flyweight, huh? Macy Barber. Wow, verified. That's got the real the blue deal. Blue check mark, bro. All right. Uh, Brian Campbell. What do they think about the beating I'm going to give on October 18th in Boston? She takes on Jillian Robertson, who has four wins at women's flyweight. They're going to compete on that Weidman versus Reyes card. Te gusta or no, no te oh, gusta? Oh, yeah. She's going to deliver that. I'm going to be there. Fred row to watch it. Can't wait. You're going to go to that one? Oh, damn right. What do you think about that fight? I actually love that fight. So you've got 7-3, and three, Jillian Robertson taking on 7-0, and oh, Macy Barber. you got Tough versus Contender Series. You've got, finally, a little bit of contender action happening at women's flight. You're talking about how empty it was. Okay, it is. But it's starting to build a little bit. And I mean, this is how you build faces and names. In, two finishers. Two people yeah. in Robertson and in Barber who get after it, bro. I love this fight. You had me, I get after it. I'm ready. Oh, great analysis. Great insight. Every Monday, 12 Eastern. Um, uh, okay, very quickly, time for odds and ends. Anything else you want to mention before we go? Uh, we had a nice sloppy weekend of boxing. Did you see that Fox main event heavyweights unbeaten out of Kovnachki against Chris Ariola? I said it might be a sop- sloppy Super Bowl coming in. These guys let their hands go. If there was a 311 song that best described this, I might go beautiful disaster. Although I know you were... 
You wanted me to pick amber, right? Omaha Styley. You know, because it's the color of your beard and your energy. But here's yes. the thing. They let their hands go. It was solid entertainment. It broke CompuBox records for punches thrown and landed over a 12-round fight by heavyweights. But here's the thing for Kovnatsky. Great dude. Kid on the way. Trying to be the first Polish heavyweight champion. Has that fun style. Even though he won and won kind of dominantly in a great fight, I kind of think it was a step back from the idea of what he wants to do, which is get Deontay Wilder in the ring, get one of these big heavyweights. Yeah. I don't think he has the power to beat them. I thought you were going to mention something about Cain Velasquez. Well, I didn't get there yet. Oh. Yeah. And you want to mention Cain Velasquez? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, right, from what you saw of Kovnatsky, can he yeah. beat the Wilders, Furies, and Joshua's? I feel like he showed you. I just you don't see how. Decent gas tank, He's not gonna great out- infighting. Yeah. He's not going to outbox Fury. Wilder, I just feel like the, the, the firepower is way too much. And I guess the one against Joshua is kind of interesting. That'd be interesting. But even jo- Andy Ru- Andrew Ruiz might be a better version of dead Bod Kovnatsky, but it'd right. be interesting. The hand speed, I think, still gives problems in ways that Kovnatsky uh, can't replicate. So that's a little more interesting, but, I mean, we'll see. <clears throat> All right. Cain Velasquez in AAA in Mexico made his pro wrestling debut in a yeah. six-man tag. Cody Rhodes involved. I know this is going I don't know way is. past your uh, line of comfort here. Yeah. He was fantastic. What does that mean? So he jumped in the ring wearing a lucha mask. Came in with his This was in Mexico, right? Yeah. And you know what? When celebrities come in, when they try to make the crossover, it's normally very safe. You're seeing basic kick punch slams. Cain Velasquez, heavyweight Cain Velasquez is coming out there doing hurricane ranas. He's coming out there doing traditional Mexican luchador moves. This this was eye-opening, and it really made you wonder, he can do this. Now, he doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the charisma for UFC. Yeah. And even though he had sort of a mini tryout with the WWE last year, they were impressed with him physically. I hear they weren't that impressed with him um, in terms of what he can do on the mic. But could you imagine him getting signed by WWE and going into a program with Brock Lesnar? That could be interesting. You ever seen, um, you ever been to like Cirque du Soleil? Yes. You get to see all that. In other words, it's like pro wrestling, only it's good. All right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Just try that out. Uh, hey, but we can, we can't walk away from the show and end it right now. No, no, now. I have one. I have All one right. odds and ends. For me, that one that really stood out to me, people were asking about some of the late stoppages at UFC on ESPN5, or stoppages they thought were late, where referees were checking to see if chokes were, were had worked. And... All the times, I think there was three different situations where they had separated fighters and the fighter was unconscious. I think one was the Miller one, one was the Pudilova one, there's another one, maybe it was the Silva one, I can't remember. But the point being is people are like, oh my God, Herb Dean screwed up. Now, Herb Dean uh, has screwed up many times, I think, as every referee, even the best ones have. He did not screw up this time. That is not true. If you actually ask any Jujitero what the rule is, yes, you want a referee to be quick. You want a referee to be decisive, but you want a referee to be as thorough as possible. Taking one to two extra seconds to verify a choke is in is perfectly okay. There's a team in Manhattan. I mentioned this before. I won't say who it is, but I know for a fact that their pro practices, they have a no tap to chokes rule. Now, I'm not saying that's the healthiest thing, but I'm saying inside jujitsu, it's not... It, it, I would much, much rather a choke be held one to two seconds longer than is necessary to verify someone is unconscious than to have a situation where you're peeling an Askren off of a, of a Lawler or a Will Brooks yeah. and a Houston yeah. Tebow where the referee doesn't check. They checked this time. It went a little bit long. All those fighters got up off their own power, and they're fine. I'm not saying there's no health consequences to it. But save your criticisms of referees when it's deserved. Herb Dean does not deserve criticism. Aspen Lan is still on line one. All right. What happened? That stoppage with Durant and me. We already went over that. Oh, already, yeah. Right? Right. Okay. But hey, that... we can't close the show. We can't bury the lead any longer. What? To talk about what today really is. What is today? 
This guy's a man. Come after him. Oh, He's you gotta be kidding. Luke Thomas, 40 ounces to freedom today. You gotta be Here it kidding. comes. Bring this in. Are right you shitting away. me? Oh my god. Luke, Look at this. From the team here With at, my uh, face on <laughs> From the team here at uh Morning Combat below the belt showtime. Oh, look Happy at birthday, that. Sir. Do you have 40 wishes to go? I'm going to be like DC and throw my back out trying to blow these candles out. Look at that handsome guy. That's at least five years ago. Oh, my God. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. Um, well, thanks, everybody. This is really sweet. I was not. I was. No, dude, my dad's not even going to call me today. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Uh, uh, did, they, did they get a good shot at that? Can I lift they wanna, this yeah, without? Hold the cake up. Don't spill it like you will. Donk. Help me support this here. Look at this. And you can see very, very, there you go. Oh, yeah. I look like a Turkish dictator on this that thing. That is fantastic. <laughs> I want to get Enos Cantor for this. That um, is great. Um, can you make a wish, Luke? Yeah. All right. You know what I wish? I wish that, uh, We're I, supposed I to have tell so, people. I, I was like, in all seriousness, I have so much fun doing this show. It's really maybe the funnest thing I think I've ever done in all my years. And uh, to many more of these, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so yeah. much. Wow, I am blown Happy away. Happy birthday, okay. sir. 40. Here we go. Welcome let's, to the Watch right, Club. Let's see if I throw my back out. No, I didn't get it. There it is. All right. Woo. Um, thank you. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm old and couldn't even blow my own effing birthday candle. So that's it for me. My life ends here. Thank you guys so much for watching. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, stay tuned for Dissected. That's going up soon. Appreciate y'all. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. We out.